0: Well, on June 6th, 1944, more than 150,000 American, British, and Canadian soldiers were taking part in the largest amphibious operation in history. It was called Operation Overlord. This day, or this operation is better known as the D-Day. Before embarking upon D-Day invasion, General Eisenhower, shared these words with his American forces. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade towards which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you in company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. The enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the the Nazis' triumphs of 1940 through 41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats and open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strengths in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. And let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Many members of the armed forces would go on to lose their lives on that day. They went into battle knowing that their lives were at stake and they did so knowing that they were fighting for a great cause, the cause of liberty. This general wanted to set the expectation for them before they went into battle. As you open your Bibles to Matthew 10, this morning we will be looking at a passage in which Jesus sets the expectation for his apostles as he sends them out to preach the kingdom of God. Jesus does not want his 12 to be caught off guard. His words are very clear, they're direct, they're very sobering. He is saying, I am sending you out on a mission where you will be rejected. You will not be well-received. You will be delivered over. You will be flogged. You will be betrayed. And yes, you will even be put to death. And all this happens because of me. It is my mission that I'm sending you on. It is for my sake that you go. It is because of my name that you will be rejected, but take heart, you will be saved. I want us to read in Matthew 10, beginning with verse 16, as we look at this passage, after saying In verse 15, truly I say to you, you'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. He continues on with the next set of instructions and he says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be giving you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. And children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in the city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, You will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. As he continues to instruct the 12 here before he sends them out, here's the overall general idea of this text. He basically tells them, you love me and I sent you out for me. And those who love me, they will be rejected by the world those who love Christ, those who go out in the name of Christ will be rejected by the world. So be ready. I don't want you to get caught off guard. When you begin to experience this opposition, know now as you go out. So this morning, I want us to discover four truths with their implications concerning our witness, concerning the disciples' witness Of Christ, number one, Jesus tells them this: You are sent in the name of Christ, so be wise. You are sent, first of all, in the name of Christ, so be wise. Verse sixteen, friends. When we come to this verse, we focus automatically on this vivid image of sheep and wolves, and, and rightly so. But but before we go there, I want us to see and almost feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here at the very beginning of this verse, behold, I send you. This is very relevant. The entire passage, beloved, is is about the authority and the name of Jesus Christ. He begins by saying, you will be rejected for my name's sake in verse 18. You will be persecuted and you will have to flee because of me. But remember this, as they reject you, they reject me. I will be rejected. But friends, my mission, he says, will not fail. I will continue in my sovereignty and my authority. My mission will not fail. I mean, who could ever send someone on this mission to go and lay their life down for someone's cause. Like, think about this. I I know we're tempted to take these verses and, and automatically apply them to us, right? But keep it within the context and historical context, right? Before the cross, as we read this verse here, verse 16, behold, I sent you out a sheep in the midst of wolves, why would these men, this, this simple group of, of ordinary men who did not understand even the cross and resurrection. Listen, this is prior to the cross and resurrection. And, and they're saying, we're going to go for this man, right? No doubt they didn't understand everything that Jesus was asking them to do. Even as he's preparing them and even as he's telling them about these things. Yet to the extent that they knew and that they understood, they trusted this man. They trusted Jesus Christ. So I want you to see the emphasis. Behold, listen up, pay attention, Jesus says. I literally myself sent you. I want you to see that. It is all about me. It's because of me, Jesus says, that you go out. Why is this important? Well, this is the nature of his mission. Jesus reveals to the 12 what awaits them in the immediate future and then later on, even as Jesus raises from the dead and he ascends to the Father, and as we begin to read the accounts of Acts. He says, this mission will not be a walk in the park. In fact, it it almost feels like a suicide mission. Think about this in verse six. Look with me at 10.6. Jesus says that the disciples are sent out to the lost sheep as shepherds almost, right? Jesus says, pray that there would be workers in the harvest. And as the chief shepherd, he says, okay, I'm going to grab and and I'm going to call this group of 12 shepherds and I'm going to send you out so that you can go after the lost sheep so that you can go find them and proclaim the gospel to them and heal them and and raise the dead and and cleanse and cast out demons so that you can freely give because you have freely received. Go to the sheep. And then he turns around in verse 16, he says, well, Actually, you are the sheep. You are the sheep. And notice the lost sheep of verse six are now wolves in verse 16. This is very, very interesting. On the the surface, this looks like an unwise thing for any shepherd to do. I mean, think about this willingly and knowingly. Take his flock and place him right in the middle, of a pack of wolves. Yet, To to show the danger of this mission and the the fierceness of the opposition that they will face, Jesus says, You are now sheep. Consider your mission as sheep going out in the midst of wolves. Sheep. Why sheep? Well, earlier on, I'm going to the lost sheep. I'm going to send you out to the lost sheep, right? Here, though, the emphasis is not placed on their silliness or their stupidity because sheep are pretty dumb, but rather to emphasize their defenselessness. Sheep, they, they absolutely cannot defend themselves. No doubt, when you have a sheep and a wolf and when they face off, there's really one winner. And it's obvious to them wolves are, are aggressive, they, they pursue, they hunt right? They stalk after they pray and then they kill. It's the nature of the wolf. And with this, Jesus, Jesus is not calling them to some kind of bravery. Hey, listen, be brave because what? You're, you're sheep in the midst of wolves. So, so muster up all the strength, muster up everything that you've got and go out for me. No, that's not, that's not what he is saying. He's sending them out defenseless and he's calling them to depend on him. You have no shot at this, friend. I am sending you out for me. I want you to know how dangerous Jesus says this mission is and all the subsequent missions which are to come, but I don't want you to focus on you, sheep, and I don't want you to focus on them, the wolves. I want you to focus on me because I, myself, sent you out. I am committed, he says, to fulfill this mission. I will defend you. You have no shot at this without me. I am the good shepherd. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Without me, you can't do anything. You are sent in the name of Christ, so be wise. Behold, I sent you out as sheep, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves be shrewd be be wise he says it, it this this word shrewd it's a word that that deals with mind and and the main idea is that of being alert and, and to show that you are aware of your environment like you know what's going on it's your ability to understand and properly analyze the situation around you uh, He says, be wise or be shrewd as serpents. Why serpents? Well, because they're known to be sharp. They're known to be shrewd, focusing constantly on their surroundings. And so Jesus is calling his disciples to have the same mindset, to be aware so that they do not lose the goal, right? The goal of their mission. I sent you out for me. So be wise. Don't lose the goal of why you're going out. Be wise where Christ has you at any particular point. And then he adds also, as you're aware of your surrounding, know how to respond, be innocent, be pure, be holy. Um, It literally means unmixed, unmixed with your, in your motivation, pure in your motivation, in your message, holy in your behavior, So, because I sent you out, I want you to be sharp. I want you to be focused. I want you to constantly understand where you're going and why you're going. You're going for me. Always be aware of your surroundings. Don't forget, disciple, who sent you and who you're supposed to represent. The wolves are out to get you, don't get caught up in their schemes. Remember your mission. Don't bring dangers on yourself because you're acting unwise. One commentator says, don't give the world a hammer to beat you in the head with. This mission is dangerous as it is. The cause for Christ, right, is offensive as it is. Don't add anything to it. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, we read these verses. Peter writes, he says, hey, when, when you suffer, that's great, but make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome mendler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in this name. What Jesus is saying, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so Avoid conflicts and attacks, whatever possible. Witness to Christ with pure motive so that the spotlight is not on you. You're not being persecuted for you, but the spotlight is on Christ. Be wise. Think through how you could maximize every opportunity, right? Be aware of your surrounding. That means being able to maximize every opportunity to be faithful to Christ, to present Jesus Christ. When the world mocks you and you suffer for Christ, Jesus says, well, that's okay. Peter says, well, it's a given, it's promised. But make sure your behavior and focus are on Christ rather than yourself. So this is the reality. This is the first thing Jesus wants his disciples to know, that they are sent for him, that they are sent in his name. Therefore, they gotta go about this mission very wisely. Promote Christ. Don't promote yourself. Let Christ be the offense, not your foolish or your impure behavior. Pursue, he says, the work of Christ in such a way that that your life doesn't bring opposition and grief unnecessarily. Go out. And as you go out, live for me. The one who sent you out and depend on me. I will take care of you. You And and church, we sometimes forget, right, whose mission we're on. We sometimes think that it's all about us, it's all about our family, that we are saved so that we can have a better life. That we are sent out into the world as believers to do what? To build our own mission, to build our own kingdom? No, we are sent out for Christ, for his mission. And Jesus says, be wise, aware of your surrounding." Make sure your behavior is pure. Your motivation for going out for Christ is pure. That it's not for you, it's for Jesus Christ. If you get distracted, you will abandon your cause. You will abandon your mission. Jesus wants us to know that it won't be easy. So we ought to be wise and diligent. Don't forget, focus on Christ in order to promote Christ. So number one, he wants us to know that you are sent out in the name of Christ for his mission, for him. So be wise. Well, what happens when when you keep your focus on Christ and when you promote him to this world, he offers the second truth. And that is as you go around in the name of Christ, number two, you will be rejected for the sake of Christ. So beware. You will be rejected. It's, it's a given. It's not like, friends, you know, you might suffer opposition. You might feel, right, um, something. No, no, no. You will be rejected. Those who are sent in the name of Christ will be rejected for the sake of Christ. That's what he says here. But beware, verse 17, of men. Beware of men. He's preparing his disciples for what's to come. He doesn't want them to be shocked to be surprised at the hatred of the world. And as we read this, this uh, section here and finish the record of Matthew, we, we don't see anything recorded that happened to them right on this mission. In fact, Matthew doesn't record the results of this mission at all. Yet Jesus, the good shepherd, he's preparing them for opposition that will take place after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, and after his ascension. Look with me just at at the setup of Matthew chapter 10. If you look at verse 5, so 5 through 15, right, There is this is the address to the immediate mission. Like right now, you're doing this. 16 through 23 sort of zooms out and it focuses on the broader context of not immediate mission, but something that will happen as Jesus finishes his mission and they go into Acts and they start proclaiming Jesus Christ. This is the opposition that you will sort of experience there. And, and it even reflects our own mission today. So look at this verse five, he sent them out. These 12, Jesus sent out. Verse 16, says, behold, I sent you out. Verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than on that day of judgment. And he says in verse 23, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. So not everybody will receive your message is what he's saying right now. Not everyone will receive your message later on. Look what he says, verse 15, truly I say to you. And again, verse 23, truly I say to you. So the way that that Matthew constructs his passage here, these two episodes, so to speak, one points to the immediate and this next section points to the future. This is what will await you. And therefore, he says in verse 17, I want you to beware. Beware, pay attention. You should not be surprised when this happens to you. You will be rejected by men. Rejection of Christ is not optional. It is given. Look at verse 23. But whenever they persecute you. He doesn't say but if, but when. When they persecute you. When you proclaim the message of the kingdom, Jesus tells the 12, you need to know that you will face fierce opposition. And then he brings two groups of people in verses 17 and 18. Two groups. You will experience opposition from the Jews and you will experience opposition from the Gentiles. Verse 17, they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. This this word here, they will hand you over to their courts, literally means Sanhedrin. Referring to the supreme court of, of Jews, Jewish supreme court. So remember, he's speaking to the 12. They're all Jews. And he says, you will be dragged into the Jewish courts and you will be flogged in their synagogues. And we must ask why? Why so intense? Why such reaction? Well, because by siding with Christ and his message, the Jews were betraying their own religion. they were siding with the cause of Christ. And the Jews and the courts and Sanhedrin, they don't like Christ. So he says, they will do to you what they did to me. They will drag you. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts, right? Turn with me to Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five, just wanna read one passage here. After the apostles had been arrested and in prison, they are brought before council, Sanhedrin, where they're giving orders not to preach Christ. And look what verse 40 says of Acts chapter five, verse 40 says, they took his advice. That's the court taking Gamaliel's advice in the earlier verses. And after calling the apostles in, They flogged them, scourged them, and ordered them not to speak in the name, for the name, right? In the name of Jesus, and then released them. And look at verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Uh, just as Jesus predicted, so it happened. And Paul later on recounts his own experience from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. I was flogged by my people for the sake of Jesus Christ. But not only will they receive opposition from the Jews, if you go to Matthew chapter 10, he continues on in verse 18, and he says, and you will be brought before governors and kings. You will be brought before governors and kings. These are Gentile authorities who are set over Jews. If you continue to read Acts, you will see that Paul is brought before governor Festus. He's brought before King Agrippa in Acts 25. And this is what happened. Jesus says, expected it will take place. And, And you will see that at each stage here as we grow and as we go from verse to verse to verse, the opposition and this rejection and persecution, they get more and more intense. Why? Because think about this. In verse 17, you will be brought before Jews, but all Jews can do is flog you. That's intense, yes. But the Roman courts, they can take your life away. See, that's why Jews had to conspire with the Romans to kill Jesus because they had no authority to put Jesus to death on their own. And so here, Jesus is saying, you're going to get it from your own people, and your people are going to use Gentiles to get you as well. Now, why? Why so intense? Why such bitter opposition? Jesus says here, so that you don't miss, circle it, underline it, for my namesake. For my sake. Why will they do this to you? Not not because of you, because of me, because you profess Christ, because you live for Christ, because you preach Christ. It's all because of me. By flogging you, by dragging you into courts, and by putting you to death, they are, Jesus is saying, trying to get to me. Because you proclaim me that they're treating you this way. Remember when Jesus stopped Saul in Acts 9, Paul, right, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to to lock them up in prison. Jesus confronts Paul, Saul at that very moment. And he says, Saul, Saul, what did he ask him? Why are you persecuting who? Me. He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? No, you're getting to my people because you hate me. Because you hate Christ. That's why you're persecuting them. And friends, when Jesus tells them these words, it's almost as if if he's announcing here in this passage his own itinerary. Consider this. Jesus himself is sent as sheep among wolves. The lamb. Right? uh, In John chapter 1, John the Baptist looks up and he says, behold the lamb, Jesus, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In Isaiah 53, seven, prophet Isaiah prophesies of what will come and he says, like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So Jesus saying, hey, I'm in the midst of wolves who will turn on me in just a few short years and will crucify me. Jesus was presented before the courts of the high priest in Matthew 26. He was flogged in Matthew 27. He stood before Pilate the governor and Herod the king in Matthew 27 and Luke 23. He was betrayed by his closest allies and hung on the cross. And if it all happened to the master, will it not happen to those who preach and talk about the master? Jesus says, absolutely. The course that I'm following, you will follow right behind. Don't be shocked. And so, throughout the New Testament, many authors, they pick on on, on this theme and 1 John, for instance, John writes in 3.13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Not for you. Brethren, those who are in Christ don't be surprised that the world hates you why for Christ Peter same thing we read do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you John seventeen and in, in hype priestly prayer Jesus prays in verse 14 I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world they hate the world hates me they will most definitely hate my disciples you are going in the opposite direction of this world friend and God will allow for us to be persecuted by the world so that we can testify of Jesus Christ. He says this persecution here in verses 17 and 18 will lead to opportunity so that you can speak to Christ. Look at the end of verse 18. You will undergo all of this for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Persecution will lead to testimony. Church, sometimes the only way you can witness to a king is to stand trial before the king. Sometimes that's that's God's plan. I will bring you before the king because I want to speak to that king. And I'm going to use you to confront. And I want to use you to speak the truth to that authority. Be willing to put up with persecution so that you get a chance to preach Christ. Think about this, friends. This is, this is fascinating because the 12, they were given powers that testify to the authority of Christ and this message. Powers to heal, powers to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. That is great power. Yet, they We're not giving powers to protect themselves. Isn't that interesting? The power is giving not for your preservation, friend, but for the proclamation of Christ. The resources we're giving are not for us and our safety, but for the sake of Christ, to make Him known. The gospel, friend, is more important than our safety. Christ is more valuable than even our very own lives. This is what he teaches here. Do you believe this? As you sit here this morning, I mean, we're pretty safe. We get thrown an in insult every once in a while if we really go out for Christ. But do you believe this this morning? And at this point here, you' probably they're probably giving this mission a second thought. I don't know if any sane person will look at this and say, "I don't know where you're sending us," but we feel this opposition coming against Christ already in Matthew chapter eight and nine. They've sensed it already. And, and if you're talking about us putting our necks on the line, right, you're, I'm not sure who would ever embark on such a mission. But Jesus continues now to encourage them and he gives them this third truth. You will be assisted in the name of Christ. So depend. You will be assisted in the name of Christ. But when they hand you over, do not worry. When this happens, again, he's not saying if this happens, there's a good chance that it will happen. No, when, when this happens, do not worry. Rejection will come. Harm will come. A time will come for you to give a defense and disciples may be thinking what am I supposed to say then how will I witness for Christ and Jesus says when you're put into these situations when you have to speak for Christ do not worry listen it's very interesting in verse 16 he just told them be wise be wise and here Jesus tells them don't worry about what you say don't rely on your wisdom Be wise. Use every opportunity for Christ, but don't rely on your wisdom. I want you to depend on God. Don't worry, but depend. It will be given to you in that hour, he says, in that hour. Luke in, in, 20, in chapter 21 verse 15 records Jesus as saying, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or to refute. I will give you the ability to do what I'm doing right now in front of these religious leaders. Don't worry what you will say. At that moment when you need to speak, and I love this, he says in verse twenty: "For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who will speak to you. Beloved, here again we see Christ pointing to the coming gift of, of the spirit who will empower and who will embolden Christ's followers to speak. You will not speak, it is the Holy Spirit who will be given you, who will speak for you. The one who knows the hearts of men, the one who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, the one who guides us in all truth, the one who is sent by Jesus to glorify Jesus, that one will speak through you. Isn't that encouraging? Don't worry when you stand before councils. I will give you the ability to speak. Where do we see this in Acts? I mean, consider consider Acts 6. Stephen, one of the deacons who is chosen for ministry, he is before a large group of people who are angry at him. And God gives him utterance to recount all of redemption history from beginning to that very moment in 58 verses, don't worry what you're gonna say. I will give you in that very hour. Don't be so gripped with fear of not knowing. The Spirit will speak. Now today, obviously, the the situation for us is a little bit different. There, they, they did not have the full counsel of God's word. They didn't have the New Testament. We have the gift of New Testament. And so today we know the full gospel and we should do well to to read it well, to study it, to memorize, to know God's thoughts, to preach it boldly. And when we're out there before the world to bear witness to Christ, don't worry, don't be afraid, rely on the spirit who indwells you to give you the utterance about the person and work of Christ. This is no application for a preacher not to study. This is no application for an evangelist not to know the message he is preaching. But it is an application for us to pursue every opportunity for Christ. And when we are put in situations where we're like, I'm not quite sure how to formulate this gospel and what to say, what words to use, the Spirit will use you to glorify Jesus Christ if you are wise and innocent. Church, do you see how the entire Trinity is involved in the mission of Christ? Jesus sends out to 12 to preach the message of the kingdom. He says that when you are put before authorities, depend on the Spirit who will give you the necessary words to proclaim. It is the spirit of your father, he says. This is interesting. You now have a father pointing back to the Sermon on the Mount. Your father. And your father became your father because of me, the son. Right? Spirit, the son, and the father all involved in one mission to exalt Jesus Christ. And if the whole Trinity, friend, is is with you, then as Paul concludes in Romans, who can be against you? Oh, use every opportunity. So you are sent in the name of Christ. So so be wise. You will be rejected for the sake of Christ. So beware. You will also be assisted because of Christ in his spirit. So depend. Trust. And finally, as he continues to disclose his plan here. In the midst of severe trials, he further encourages them with this final truth. You will be saved by the name of Christ, so endure. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end. He will be saved. He continues to give them this truth that Man, the danger is real. The opposition will come. And friends, here's what he's saying here in in verse 21 and 22. The opposition will come from most unlikely of places. From most unlikely of places. Your own family. This is very difficult to understand in our modern culture because cultural Christianity is just so rampant in America, although we're getting there fast, fast. But beloved, this really happened in the early formation of the church. This happened, and it is happening now in other parts of the world where one person hears the gospel and he goes home and he preaches it to his family, his parents maybe, and he literally gets excommunicated from his family. And if they have a chance, they will even turn him and turn on him. And in some cases, they are put to death because of Christ. Husbands are turning on wives. Wives against husbands. Children against parents. Parents against children. Brother versus brother. Christ divides families. You will be hated by all. He says you will be hated by all. Even your very close ones. You will be hated by those in religion. Verses 17 and 18. You will be hated by those in politics and even your own house. Some people are so bent against Christ that they are willing to turn on the very persons they love. This was a reality in the days of Jesus. It's real in other parts of the world. And friends, it will soon be more real here for you sitting in this room today. Why? Jesus says, because of me. You will be hated because of me. To the extent that you love Christ, you will be hated. Again, the emphasis is on Christ, the name. The name represents everything Christ is. They will suffer for it. Christians, are you willing to be hated? for the name of Jesus. Are you willing to receive ostracism and mockery from society that hates Christ? I mean, for some, it's really it's a, it's a really difficult trade-off. But if you follow Christ and if you care about his mission and if you care about his work, then that's what awaits you and that's what you're gonna do. I want you to see though that Jesus is not done here in in verse 22 he says but but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. He affirms the reality of persecution but he adds don't be discouraged friend don't be discouraged you will be saved if you endure. He promises salvation on the other side of persecution. Don't be discouraged when you're brought before authorities Don't be discouraged when you're brought before and betrayed by your closest friends or family. Don't even be discouraged at the prospect of death. He says, you will be saved if you endure, if you remain faithful to the end. And it doesn't mean that you will earn it. It doesn't mean that you endure by your strength. All it means is that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, those who belong to Christ will prove faithful to Christ all the way to the end and will be saved. You don't do the saving. Someone else does the saving for you. Saved. What are you saved from? Obviously not from danger. (laughs) Not even from death. I mean, this—it's—it really jumps out at you. Wow! I'll be saved. Yeah, let's go. Wait, wait a minute. What am I saved from? I still got to endure all of that. The context is clear. You will be killed in the case of the apostles. So when you persevere and don't defect, when you don't walk away from the Lord, denying Him in the midst of difficulty and persecution, man, this stuff is hard. Maybe, maybe I'm not down to be with Christ. That's not a believer. That's not a Christian. He says, when you go all the way through, you will be delivered at death. You will receive the blessing of the kingdom. Don't be discouraged to face death. Because think about this. All they can do by killing you is just speed up your salvation. Right? Right? If you follow Christ in this world, it will cost you your life. However, he tells us not to allow the fact to discourage us because by the enduring to the end, you will secure your salvation. Man, it really takes you to be focused on eternity here. Believe it, friend. Persevere. The extent of your suffering will look different for each of us, for each believer But if we all persevere, we will reign with Christ. You will dwell with Christ. And even if your body is martyred, it will be raised to new life. And in verse 23, finally, he cautions the 12, and he says, this mission is so great that you will not exhaust all the cities until the Son of Man comes. Now, there's a great debate about what this coming refers to. Is it the coming of judgment? Is it the coming of Jesus and and the cross coming? Or is it the, the AD 70, right? Of the judgment against Jerusalem, or is it pointing to his second coming? I think here, since the context broadens out and Jesus projects his mission into future, It's referring to his second coming. Jesus is telling them that they will not fulfill their mission to the fullest extent until his return. They will depend on God for the message. They will depend on God for power and God's timing to make much of Christ. There are so many people who need to hear the gospel. When you're persecuted in one city, go to the next. The field is massive. What he is saying here is this, don't seek martyrdom. Be faithful to Christ. Proclaim the gospel. You will be hated, but Jesus is coming back. And you know what? It's all worth it. The gospel is worth it. Christ is more valuable than your own life. Well, friends, I want you to see that this whole passage, this whole chapter, really this whole book, right, is about Jesus Christ. They are sent in the name of Christ. They are rejected for the sake of Christ. They are assisted by the Spirit to bear witness to Christ. They are hated because of the name of Christ. And they are saved because of Christ. It's all about Christ. So are, are you willing, am I willing now to, be, to endure all of this for Christ, to receive mockery from those who hate Christ, maybe even to die for Christ? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. History tells us that all but two of the 12 were, were martyred for Christ. That was their appointed lot. We don't know our final lot. You don't know your final lot. It may be different. But here's the thing. Martyrdom is not the goal. To die for Christ is not the mission. Making Christ known is the mission. And if you so happen to lose your life, well, then you accomplished your mission. And when you are intent on doing that, to make him known, you will be persecuted is what the whole passage teaches. And unlike the, the allied forces on D-Day, our strength is not in us. It is not our numbers, it's not our ability, it's not the timing, none of it is in us. It's all in Christ. So take courage, endure by the strength which he supplies. Be able to bear the brunt of opposition and persecution, but also knowing that you're in good company with Jesus Christ. He suffered, died, and reigned, and reigns now. And if we go through the same course, and we shall, We will reign with Christ forevermore. Father, we thank you. Encourage us to look to Christ and to make his name known everywhere. Help us to be wise, to be patient. Help us to depend on you. Help us to endure. We ask in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.